Pity came in for Tarabat. Tarabs. Oh my god, what's going on? You know Tarabs. You know Tarabs. I know Tarabs. Tarabat. Come on, man. Um. Alright, yes, yes. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Long Ball Football. Thank you so much for listening. And if you listened to last week's episode, thank you. Um, we've had some nice feedback, so we appreciate everybody getting in touch. Uh, you're listening to myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney, recording from Newcastle. How's your week been, Barney? Yeah, it's been all right. After the weekend last week, I thought it was a bit dumb with f- football, watching so much <laughs> in like, such a sort of amount of time. But then I was actually really gutted when um, our teammate in Orient didn't get to play um, Tottenham. That was a real shame. Yeah, we won't go behind the curtain too often, but me and Barney are both uh, Lady Orient fans. If you follow the English... English football, you'd have seen in news. We had a big game against Spurs to play, but alas, we've got the Portuguese alas. league to comfort us. Um, How about you? How's your week been? Yeah, fine. Like, yeah, I don't think I've ever watched so much football as I did last weekend. Yeah. I watched five games last weekend. I only got around to four this week, but um, yeah, as we both said last week, I think we both just love any excuse to watch as much football as possible. And it's made the Premier League boring to me now. I, yeah. you know, like, I've got no time for it anymore. But asleep during much of the day too last night. Not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so have you been doing your uh, Portuguese word this week? For anybody who listened last week, Barney, uh, me and myself and Barney are kind of on a mission to learn Portuguese. We're at different stages. Uh, and Barney's trying to pick up one word a week for an app, I think. What did you do this week? Well, I, I finished actually finished the food section I was doing. So obviously, all pal nailed down. But um, um, Ogafo, which I think is fork. Yes. Um, asalada or asalad. Salad. Yeah, nice. um, <laughs> and that's about oh the sucre is that su- sugar? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Nice. So uh, I've I've moved on from uh, food and I'm doing uh, phrases now. So discoop, discoop, And talking of which, man, I, I want to say discoop to any um, Portuguese speakers who listened last week because um, <laughs> some of my pronunciations were. I think also even English speakers. I think I pronounced uh, Angel Gomez as Angle Gomez at one point, or so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway on to bigger and better things this week we've both watched a lot of football there's been some big games this week we've got Porto versus Boa Vista coming up uh, Benfica versus Mora Renz we've been watching Sporting Lisbon for the first time in the Europa League and in the Primera Liga but but yeah I think the biggest game this week was uh, Boa Vista versus Porto it was the Saturday 9 o'clock kickoff the Porto derby Boa Vista versus Porto it ended 5-0 I didn't get to watch this one but Barney watched it all the way through what did you make of the game? Yeah, it was really um, a tear of two halves, to say a overused cliche. Um, <laughs> I thought, I, I think I was a bit harsh on Bervis the last week. Well, right, right, I think, but um, I was really impressed with them uh, in the first half. They had a much better game. Um, Adol Rami's come in at the back, um, and, uh, which was a. Uh, he popped out of nowhere. No idea that Rami was playing for Boa Vista. But I think that'd be good for me. He's obviously got the experience. They seem to be pressing a bit higher as well. I mentioned last week that they didn't do much seem to want to press Cedar National. And Reggie Cannon as well, particularly on the right, he was getting forward a lot more. He looked good defensively as well. I think he had the most interceptions for Boa Vista. Angel Gomez was um, playing as good as ever. There was a few touches he made which were just sublime. Benucci as well, the Honduran striker um, who's come in for the injured NG. He was a nuisance. He was holding his own against Pepe. Um, and chance on my member. But yeah, I mean, they didn't have too many chances either side in the first half. 
I really thought Boa Vista were holding them well. Because it was nil-nil after 45 minutes, right? Yeah, it was nil-nil. Um, I thought Boa Vista would have been... I mean, when that half finished, I was thinking about what I was going to be saying. I know so I could really see Boa Vista coming away with something. But um, I know last week I mentioned about um, Boa Vista's centre-back, the young Mexican lad Gomez. And obviously paired with Adorami now, a bit more experienced. But Adorami looked, looked tired. He didn't look match fit. There was a point where he was complaining when the goalkeeper, um, the goalkeeper wanted to play it short when he had the ball and Adoram wanted to play it long so he could have a breather. Really? And that's what Porto did in the second half. They started hitting the cent- hitting balls over the top of the centre-backs, making them run, uh, balls in behind. And that's what really sort of changed the tide. They're having a lot of joy. For the first goal, Adoram didn't get close to Corona. Um, a nice little ball slipped through and he just seemed to back off and give Corona that space to find the gap and take the shot. Sergio Oliveira's free kick for the second was a little bit lucky. And then Mr. Morega came with two. I mean, he he really, really looks yeah. fantastic. Like, a great striker. I think we both agree that he he's the sort of striker that would do well in the Premier Well, I was thinking, you know, Mourinho's... I, felt, I was trying to think of a player he's like. And he just seems like a Mourinho player. Do you know what I mean? He's got, he's got strength. He's got... If it's a... 60-40 in the defender's favour he's going to try and get it and he might he might even get it you know he's, he's got that drive he's got that that brute brutishness to him I think um, but he's also got the touch and he can he, he's a great finisher yeah I think I mean <laughs> he's going to be really important for Porto this season I think I mean for Bovista Albert Ellis the new signing from the MLS came on he came on for Benucci up top and I don't know if that was just sort of Try and use a bit more pace against the centre backs, Pepe and, and Membemba. But I'm not sure that that's where he should play. For in the MLS, it looks like he plays on the wing, comes in. Um, but we'll see. Um, um, he's quite exciting, I think. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about the the lucky free kick because for me, watching the game back, I think there was that period between about 60 and 70 minutes where Porto went from one nil up to four nil up very quickly. There was that free kick that got a, quite a wicked deflection that went in. I think that took the wind out of. Uh, by Vista sells somewhat. Uh, I thought the second free kick was a very well-worked move. I think we've seen sort of training ground free kicks from Porto before. I thought it was another one where, yeah, maybe you could say Boa Vista kind of played into their hands a little bit, but it was a good move. And I think Porto took it from 1-0 to 4-0 in 10 minutes, and it was game over inside 10 minutes, really. I think it's a quite a big statement from Porto. You know, um, obviously Benfica had that fantastic win last week. It was an even game. I thought they were well matched. And then this, the second half of them to come out and play, like get those five goals. I think it really is a statement. Obviously, it's just the first 11, which is... I've, the point I'm trying to make is that I, if they lose a few, that's where I worry for them. You look at Benfica and the subs they've got, the bench they've got. and the, I'm just worried about Porto going through the season, obviously in the Champions League as well. I don't feel that bench is going to is as strong as Benfica say yeah that's a great point I mean look neither of us are Benfica fans but I will say I think there are players on the Benfica bench who would probably walk into that Porto starting 11 maybe in central midfield I mean surprise surprise we're probably looking at a Porto versus Benfica shootout for the for the title this season mm-hmm. who would have seen that coming but um that strength and depth that Benfica have I think that will probably set them apart in terms of Boa Vista and what they can take from this game, I think, the, like I said, the first half performance was really, really good. Um, much more attacking than the, the first game last week. And I think the only question is going to be, like I mentioned, that centre-back part pairing and that defence and conceded three first game, five this game. You know, 
I think potentially they need to start playing Javi Garcia at the back. He's done it, obviously did it at Man City when he was there. He's fitter than Adrami, you know. I thought Paulinho then, number 30, it looks a really good player as well. He's playing to the left of um, Angel Gomez and he's 23 years old. He's great on the ball. He had a fantastic dribble, um, just turned Chancellor member around. There's positive there for Bovista, but one point from two games and they've conceded eight goals. I think it's clear where the problems are. I think to defend Adol Rami for a second, he's not going to be coming up against Musa Morega every week. So I think over the course of the season, he probably will be a useful signing. And you'd hope he'd be a kind of leader off the pitch as well. And as you say, one player who played really well was Alex Tellers, uh, someone we praised heavily last week. And it looks like he's on his way to Manchester United. It seems like a matter of time before that one is announced, but... As yet, there's no deal. It seems like he's available for less than 30 million. And for a player of his standard, you know, I don't care how many months he's got left on his contract. A team like Manchester United with the finances they have, they should be snapping up a deal like that. I mean, the question will be, poor replace them. I was trying to think, uh, such a crucial player. I was trying to think of a player with similar qualities, similar attributes to him. I don't know if this is an overstatement, but you lose Alex Tellers. I don't think you got the league. Let's look at the numbers for a second because I don't think that is an overstatement. And I'm going to give a quick shout out to Portugal, Tom Kunder on Twitter. I'm getting his stats off him. Uh, in his time at Porto, he's recorded 56 assists and 26 goals in four seasons from left back. Yeah. Which are quite incredible stats. You know, they're not just losing. He's a talisman at left back, which is so rare. I mean, he takes free kicks, he takes penalties, they're getting so many assists and they're getting goals. It sounds like such a strange thing to say, but they're selling their left-back and they're going to need to replace the goals. There's been a number of slightly strange situations in Porto's transfer window, in my opinion. We're seeing we're seeing big losses uh, in the transfer market. They're losing Suarez to China. Uh, 10 million euros, they'll probably think that's a good deal for them. Uh, Abubakar's going back to Besiktas and it looks like Z Louise will be off to uh, Fenerbahce. Again, another Twitter account I'm going to shout out, portugueseSoccer.com at psoccer.com on Twitter. A great source if you're an English language follower of the Premier League with some great stats on Twitter and also a really good podcast as well. So they were talking on Twitter earlier this week about how with Suarez, Abubakar and Z Louise going, that's 132 goals combined for Porto that they're losing. So they seem to be happy to lose these players who are not flops. They've performed well. You know, they're players that they can rely on and they have been relying on for the last few seasons and replacing them with pretty shrewd signings. I mean, I think we both agree that Mediterranean is a good signing. Um, I think Tony Martinez, if it happens, will be another smart signing, especially, I mean, I've seen a fee as low as 3 million euros be talked about, so that would seem like a very smart signing for a player who did well last season. But they're letting a lot of big players go, and the replacements, you know, they're not headline signings. It must, it's got to be financially driven. I reckon those three strikers you mentioned leaving must be on fairly decent wages. I'm not, it's not worrying, but like I said, I think there's a little drop off from that first team to the bench when you compare that to Benfica. We'll hopefully learn more about that story as the season goes on. But you just mentioned Benfica, and of course, Benfica made the headlines this week in the transfer market with Ruben Diaz going to Manchester City. We'll come on to that in just a moment, but he was captain in what turned out to be his last game, a 2 0 win against Moravens. Yeah, it was just a 2 0 this week, um, obviously, after that. 5-1 thrashing of from Al-Sakal, uh last week. So Pizzi came in with Tarab, which I thought was interesting because I, I think he made team of the week last week for his performance. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I've always thought Pizzi is a winger, but I think he played a bit more in midfield last season. But it worked all right. Um, they, they enjoyed a lot of possession. They looked quite neat and tidy, as usual. The Tongan and um, Ruben Diaz were just a threat all game. Um, every corner, mm. they were always getting there. 
And that's where the first goal came from, a nice corner and a moving Diaz with the header in. I thought Morens were okay. I thought they sailed well. Um, they had a few chances themselves as well. They weren't just sort of defending against Benfica. But ultimately, it was the quality in the end. You know, I thought Everton had another good game. Unlucky not to score, I thought. Yeah, he was unlucky. He does look class, though, and I need it. I thought they did well to keep Waldschmidt quiet. I don't think he had quite as good a game as last, last week. But for me, it was Darwin Nunes stood out for me this game. I was so impressed with him. He had a much brighter game this week. I mean, he was much more positive. It seemed like he was playing with a lot more confidence. A lot more confidence, I thought. His runs, every run he makes was just causing problems. It, it was never the same. Um, eventually, Sifat Rorich came on and that allowed him a bit more freedom to go down the wings. And that's what created the second. He was a lovely run, broke down the wing and just put it across the face of goal for Sifat to um, tap in. I think we're obviously both learning about these players, these new signings, uh, as we watch them. But I think... What I took from that game in terms of Darwin Nunes was that he's a he's got much more to his game for a young player than I expected. When you see him, he is quite tall. He looks quite strong. So you think perhaps he's going to be in that Edinson Cavani mould. But yeah, I was impressed by his movement. I was impressed by his agility. And I thought, yeah, I thought he was a much better player this game. And he stood out much more than he did last game. I, I wrote down he's going to go to a big club. And by that, I mean, I, I can see him moving to a Champions League challenging team in a few wow. years or saying. I think... It's quite rare you get because, like you said, you like you mentioned Cavani, who's like one of my favourite strikers because he's he's got the height, he's got the build, but he's also got pace. He's like you know Ibrahimovic as well, similar those sort of players, and they don't come around too often those sort of strikers. So um, yeah, I, I'm predicting really good things for him. It might seem like an obvious comparison comparing him with Cavani, obviously because they're uh, both Uruguayans and because Benfica quite openly wanted Cavani at the beginning of the transfer window but in my opinion it might turn out to be a much better signing than signing Edison Cavani a player who they probably would have only kept for one or two years and they've got Darwin Nunes now who with you know good support good coaching looks like he's got a lot of ability and a lot of potential and of course Benfica fans might not want me to say this right now but the reality is he's got a much bigger sell-on value than Cavani I mean at the end of the game it was it was clearly Ruben Diaz's last game um, getting hugs from everybody I think I read Man City didn't actually want him to play but um, it was nice for him to go out like that getting the captain and getting the goal um, I think that reflects his personality as a player as well I'm sure he was the one who pushed to play I think he probably would have not been comfortable going out like that you know without being able to say goodbye on the pitch I think he gave a good glimpse of what Man City will be getting with him as a centre-back for a tw- young 23-year-old man He's got great leadership and he's got great respect from his peers, a lot of whom have you know, got Champions League and Premier League experience ahead of him. I think it's a decent fee. I think it's a very fair fee. Um, obviously, Manchester City have spent a lot of money on defenders now, but I think €65 million Euros for a player who has proven himself over the last two seasons, you know, he's capped for Portugal. I think I think they're getting a good player for the money. I think the only downside is they've got to give £15 million back for us and Mendy. I think I texted you when I saw that he was going to be the player coming back and I couldn't believe it I mean I mean let's think let me let's talk about this for a second because Otamendi we both watched him in the Prem last year when City were struggling at the back for centre backs and he was third or fourth choice and he looked like he was third or fourth choice I mean he was useless I don't think he's the right sort of player to be coming in yeah I'm just I'm just not convinced that George Jesus signing yeah well George Jesus obviously came out and said publicly that he wanted two centre back signings that was before they got Otamendi, so I guess Otamendi is one. Um, they've been linked with Ruben Semedo of Olympiacos, uh, quite yeah. an interesting player. 
Um, <laughs> we're, laugh we're laughing because Barney told me a story before we started recording this. Go on. For anybody who doesn't know, I didn't know this. So he's been arrested twice, this guy. So I think <laughs> he's, he went to VRL at one point. So the first time he got arrested, he was in a bar. He was injured, so he wasn't playing, but he was watching the game. And uh, he started brandishing a gun and saying, like, swearing at people. I don't know if they're taking the mick out of him or whatever. Second time he got arrested, he kidnapped someone, tied him up in his house, and then went to that guy's house and robbed his house. And he got <laughs> he got sentenced to attempted murder. He's banned from Spain for eight years. So if they get Villarreal or Real Sociedad in the Europa League, he's not going. <laughs> like, I mean, unbelievable. I, He's he's a decent. Like, I think he's a decent player. I remember when I was like, "Why is he at Olympiacos?" And then, well, obviously, after all of that, after all of those scandals, where do you go? Greece, right? <laughs> but he he's he'll definitely be you know faster than Otamendia. I know that's a really easy thing to say, but you know he's gonna be. Um, I mean, with Fabregas, perhaps. I mean, he's played. I mean, let's talk seriously for a second. He's played under twenty one internationals from Portugal. Mm. I guess his personal life got in the way of his progression slightly, so there's a possibility that. If he comes back to a big team in Portugal, he'll be able to get his career back on track. You know, yeah, I think he's a good player. I think, I think, I think I'd rather him than Otamendi. We're going to move on to our next game, and it was the first opportunity either of us had this season to watch Sporting Lisbon, one of the historically biggest teams in Portugal. They obviously didn't play in the league last week because uh, they had various players test positive coronavirus. But this week, we both watched them twice: uh, once against Aberdeen in the Europa League, and once against Passos Fernandes in the league. They Turned out 1-0 winners against Aberdeen and 2-0 winners uh, versus Passos. And I think the succinct summary of their week is very much job done. Really exciting to see him. Um, but obviously it's, it's, it's hard to gauge at the moment because so many players are out. It really is worth pointing out that they've got nine, nine first-team players out uh, with COVID-19. And to play Thursday and then Sunday as well. You know. I think that tiredness showed in both games really. I mean, Aberdeen, I mean, you expect a tough game from a Scottish top-flight team. They're going to be quite physical. Um, it was 1-0 in the end. Not much to write home about. It was It was good that the young player Thiago Thomas got on the score sheet and they made it through to the final round of the Europa League qualifying, which they'll be pleased with. But yeah, Sunday, I think the hangovers were definitely there when they played Passos. A strange thing to say when they did run out 2-0 winners, but it wasn't a totally convincing performance. We were both looking forward to watching them seeing what they had to offer, but there were a lot of tired legs out there. Yeah, I think, um, is it Jovan Cabral? He scored the penalty. Yes. He came off injured, didn't he? So you're already losing players to injury and you've got the people out as well. It's going to be hard. The penalty, though, I guess we should talk about. I mean, yeah, let's go for, I mean, let's go through this game because there were quite a few talking points. We've seen in the Premier League this week a lot of discussion about handball. And it was a very, there was a very harsh handball decision in this game. Uh, Douglas Tank, striker for Passos Ferreira. The ball gets put into the box. It's ricocheting off one player onto his hand. Not only was it a harsh pen, the ref decided it was a yellow card. Not sure where that one came from. <laughs> Well, I think I think the yellow card came from him giving it back to the ref because saying it what ridiculous this decision was. The interesting thing for me though, the weekend in the Premier League, most of these decisions were done by VAR. You know, the game might have continued. Uh, the ref wasn't usually blown for the handball in the first place. It was you know, getting pulled up afterwards. The ref didn't use VAR at all. And he just he saw it. He was in a good position. Saw it ricocheting up and hit his hand, and just blew for it. And, and that was that. Yeah, I've seen this a few times in the games I've watched where. I think I quite like the way that the referees are using VR or VR is used in these games. It's it's very rare. It, mm. it you don't really it doesn't really interrupt the, the the TV viewing, and more often than not, the referee the linesmen are calling the offside and they're making the decision. 
they're not letting it play run out and then going back and checking VR. And I think that flows a bit better. And and also more often than not, the calls have been good. This one is just a case of the handball, or isn't it? It's just it's never a handball, is it? For me and you, it's, it's never a handball years. in a million years. It's a new law that I think it will be a short-lived law. I think in the seasons to come, we'll see that law kind of rode back quite a lot. But it's a penalty for Sporting. Uh, Cambral buries the penalty. Great pen. 1-0. Cambral went off injured after 30 minutes. That will be a negative for Sporting Lisbon. I mean, with having lost players already, but obviously they're relying on players in Europe and in the league. It's going to be quite difficult. Nuno Santos came on. A new signing. I thought he looked pretty bright. He won't win too many headlines. And in general, I thought Sporting weren't totally comfortable. I mean, Passos didn't really offer too much. I thought they had a few kind of hopeful moments getting crosses into the box. There were a few moments where I thought Sporting looked a bit unsure at the back. Um, but overall, Sporting controlled the game. I thought they played well uh, on the wings. The play, the man of the match for me was Pedro Porto. He's the right wing back from Manchester City, Spanish right wing back, a constant attacking threat. Yeah, and I like the guy on the left-hand side, the left-back, uh, Nuno Mendes. Uh, I think he's got promoted from Sporting B this season, and I think he looked really good. Yeah, I thought they looked really good on both wings, actually. I think that seemed to be their main uh, main source of joy in terms of attacking moves. They did get a second. It was a it was good work, as I said, good work on the wings, got a good ball into the box. Nod down by one centre-back, Fedal, to the second centre-back, Coates, the point home. That was how the game ended, 2-0. Promising signs, but I think we'll, we'll be hoping to see more from Sporting Lisbon as the season goes on. To be honest, Sporting this season, it'll be about getting that third place back. Obviously, Braga got it last season. Then they're not getting near Benfica and Porto, in my opinion. If there's any Sporting Lisbon fans listening, perhaps they'll be sad to hear that, but then maybe they've accepted that themselves. It's interesting for us as well because we still, as outsiders to the Portuguese league, think about the big three, right? We think about uh, Benfica, Porto, and Sporting, but it does seem that Sporting Lisbon have been left behind slightly. But I think sport. If it feels to me that Sporting Lisbon do it differently, though. They're much more likely to play youngsters and they're much likely to promote promote players from their B team. It's just a question of time, I think. They, they are good at promoting youngsters. They're maybe not so good at keeping them for long enough. It's it's just it's just got to all be about getting closer to Benfica. It's going to be a gradual process. Um, the youngsters they brought through look good. Yep. Maybe bring a few loan signs like Poro. You know, it's, it's just about closing that gap, which was huge last season. I think it was 16 points. But that, that's got to be their target. It's getting that third place nailed on and, and taking it from there. What summed up for me last season was last year was when I went to, uh, when I was in Lisbon last year and I spoke to a Benfica fan there and I asked him, because I was interested in the kind of football culture there, and I asked him who was his big rival, Porto or the local derby sporting Lisbon. And he said, without a doubt, Porto. So I don't think Benfica fans really consider them their main rivals at the moment. I'm going to move on to our next game, which was Braga versus Santa Clara. It ended 1 0 to Santa Clara. It was their first away win ever at Braga. And that really epitomises what a surprising start to the season these two teams are having. For Braga, it's zero wins out of two. And Santa Clara, it's two wins from two. Yeah, and it was um, Thiago Santana again um, with the goal. He's been a real surprise, obviously, getting two last week. Uh, Pelinia is back for Braga, um, their top goal scorer last season. So I was really hoping he was going to um, do something, maybe get a goal or two. But yeah, it was Thiago Santana who actually came through with the goal. Really nice finish. Lovely finish, I thought. Um, but I think Braga would be really disappointed with the defending for that goal. Santa Clara had a free kick. It was a decent free kick into the box, but it was well cleared by Braga. But the Braga defence just did not get out of the box quick enough. And in the end, um, 
I'm not sure which player, but Santa Clara just put it straight back into the box. The Braga players were wandering on their way out. Santana was on the side, chest the ball down, as a lovely volley on his left foot to bury it. When I watched this, and like you said, the defending was horrendous. Mm. It, I tell you what it is, man. We know Carlos Carvalho. We know what is the football he likes to play. Very, really like it's a really important style for him. It comes out. Santa Clara midfielder takes on the chest, but poor control, and then he essentially just hoofs it back in. Hopeful ball, and I can guarantee you, Braga just would never have dealt with that sort of ball in training. They would ne- no one was expecting it. Everyone was just like walking forward, marching forward because of Carlos Carvalho's style of play. You know, on the fl- on the floor, passing nice passes, and they would just never have expected that sort of hopeful ball coming in and the defenders just don't know how to deal with it and they really didn't deal with it at all um after the goal Esgaio was absolutely fuming with his with his teammates he was he was having a right go at everyone in the box but I thought it was a well-taken goal and fair play to Santa Clara um they went 1-0 up very early uh Braga looked a little bit shaken after that they did take a while to get back into the game but after about 10-15 minutes it was a lot more settled I think Braga were controlling the were controlling the game um, kind of settled into that rhythm of Braga attacking, Santa Clara defending deep and looking to kind of get out of their box on the counter-attack. Um, it almost paid off. Braga had the ball in the back of the net on 20 minutes, but uh, it was ruled out for offside. A well-worked goal. You mentioned Paulinho earlier. I thought he made a big difference. He was a, a big attacking threat and he it was a great move from him to cut back for uh, Danilo Horta. Very strange offside decision though. Uh, it was deemed that a Braga player was in the eye line of the goalkeeper in an offside position. Not for me. I didn't think he was. I thought it was a good goal too. I thought it should have stood. But again, as with last week, Braga with a offside decision that would prove pivotal to the result of the game. Like you said, I think Paulinho looked really good there. He seems to go down that right-hand channel quite a lot. Um, really tight on the ball, would get the ball in the box and be able to like find a pass, You know, get a shot off. Um, just unfortunate not to get the goal, I guess. I thought that, that right-hand side that you mentioned was where Braga had most of their uh, most of their joy. I was really impressed with Ezgaia. I'm not banging my own trumpet here, but I had him in my fantasy team from day one. I mean, the points haven't started rolling in yet, but I've got a lot of hope for him because he looks like a good attacking threat. And he was playing, so they set up in a kind of 3-4-3, three, three, and he was playing on the right-hand side of the four. So he's essentially doing the job of the right-back and the right-winger. And he had so much energy. He did both roles really well, defending... Uh, and attacking, but there was no way through for Braga. I mean, absolute credit where it's due to Santa Clara. Some of the defending was fantastic, I thought. I gave my man of the match to uh, their centre-back, Villanueva, because by the end of the game, Santa Clara had basically held on for 90% of the match to hold on to their 1-0 lead, and they earned the win the tough way. Yeah, that'll be important for them for the rest of the season, being able to do that against... I mean, obviously, Braga's more likely probably going to be finishing higher than them. So to do that against that, these sort of teams is, is going to be really important. And um, yeah, no, I think uh, I think they look good for it. So yeah, the first game on Saturday, um, I sat down to watch. Um, it wasn't the Benfica game or the Porto game, but um, it was Maritimo Tondela. Um, it was a good game, actually. I, I had lots of notes written down about it because um, yeah, it was just interesting to learn a bit more about these two teams um, and what to expect for them. It all happened in the first half, basically. Maritimo got the first goal uh, with their striker, Rodrigo Pino. Yeah, it was a good cut back on the floor. Tondela said about could have got there. He would have, I think he was a bit un, unlucky to, a bit unhappy not to get there. Um, and he gets stopped at home. Uh, the left back for Maritimo, Fabio China, who I'd just started writing these notes down about how I thought he looked good. He seemed to be getting up the, the wing a lot. 
he's been at uh, Maritimo his whole career, which I found interesting because I haven't really seen another player in the Portuguese league who's had that sort of one club so far. So that was interesting. But just as I was writing his notes, he gets sent off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rafael Barbosa for uh, Tondeo, who, who looked good quite uh, all game. He got paid through and Fabio trying to just try to track back, comes behind him. And it's one of those ones where he just knocks his foot and trips him up. He, he was clear through. So um, that was a red card. Very clumsy, I thought, that one. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, you see it quite a lot. So from that free kick actually came the, the equaliser for Tondeo. It was hit straight at the keeper. Pedro Augusto, the Brazilian centre mid for Tondeo, was the only one to sort of follow the ball in and he got the easy tap in. So yeah, but um, Maritimo go up the other end almost straight away. Uh, the ball comes out to Jean Kleber, uh, the Brazilian midfielder for Maritimo. Um, he sort of hits a hopeful volley. It's got a bit of pace to it. But it bounces just before Babacanias, the, um, the goalkeeper from there, who fumbles it, falls to Edgar Costa. He puts the heads of the ball straight back in um, towards the goal. Um, Nasty, to be fair to him, makes a good recovery save. But then it falls to Rodrigo Pino, who's got the composure. He takes a few touches, finds the gap, and then puts it in to make it 2-1. I've got two points I want to make here. First one is about Babacanias, who I mentioned last week, who looked a bit erratic, not a great goalkeeper who's replaced um, Claudio Ramos for Tondea. Uh, Claudio Ramos is a, a great stats last season, fifth highest in clean sheets, I think to remember. Really important player from Tondea. Tondea are in real trouble. I think they're favourites to go down. If it's, I think it always feels harsh picking out a particular player, but they need to replace this goalkeeper. The second point I wanted to make was was about the uh, Maritima manager with uh, Lito Vidigal. This is where managers make their money. You know, you're going in a man down, but you're 2-1 up at half-time. This is where you make your money and sort of... Setting your team up to get the result. Yeah, and that's exactly what he did, man. Maritima's highest ever finish is, was fifth, and they're in Europa League in the 2012-2013 season. So that's where they're aiming, you know. And I really think they brought in a manager who should be able to do that. He's got F- FC Aruko, I've never heard of before. Um, he got them to fifth in the uh, 2015-2016 season. That team's now in the third third division. Like, it's, wow. that seems like such an achievement. Um, he's mm. coached the Angola national side as well, so he's got that experience. And when you compare him to, say, someone like Carlos Carver, however, we just talked about, who's with Braga and they, they, they were third last season, you know, these, these ambitions to do well in Europe, perhaps. I've personally, I think you need someone who can do a bit of everything, who's not afraid to change his tactics, who's not afraid to. You know, like Mourinho says in the Tottenham documentary, be bad guys, you know? Yeah. Um, that's exactly what they did in the second half, man. They were wasting time from the moment the second half kicked off. Um, I think the goalkeeper went down with cramp in the 60th minute, you know, all these little tactics. And personally, I don't like to see it. I hate it, you know, time-wasting stuff. But that's what got them the, the three points at the end of the day. At the end of the season, you're judged with the number of points on the board, you know, not your average possession stats. Exactly. But in defence of Carlos Cavalio, I agree with you that I don't think he's, his game management in the last two games has helped Braga at all. But in his defence, he took Rio Ave to their, one of their best ever Premier League finishes last year and to the Europa League. You know, He was the manager who did that. So I think Absolutely. But like I said, it's when you're losing points to teams that are finishing below you, that's how Benfica and Porto are getting such huge points on the board and they're not losing to these lesser teams. Well, that leads on nicely to our penultimate game, which was Rio Ave versus Vitoria Gimaraes. Um, we alluded to earlier Rio Ave playing in the Europa League as well this this week, and it's fair to say that that was the far more exciting game and result. And what a night for Rio Ave against 
uh, Besiktas. They were the underdogs on paper. They went 1-0 down, got a good goal back, and then won the, whole, won the tie on penalties to set up a final qualifying round against AC Milan. What a game that's going to be. A great result for them. And like I know obviously there's no fans in the ground, but Besiktas isn't an easy place to go, you know, and uh, really well to hold on for the pens. And then, yeah, AC Milan is going to be a good game. Yeah, we're both looking forward to that one next Thursday. It's just a shame that the game, their game in the league following that against Vittoria Guimaraes was... I mean, I watched it before I went to sleep and I think that was probably the best thing for it. Which is a shame because, you know, it's two teams that we were both excited about to talk about when we first started this podcast. I'm not going to brush over the fact that it was a rubbish game. Nil-nil. Rio are resting some of their players from that game. Obviously, um, they'll be disappointed that Jelson Dalla is injured. He didn't play against Besiktas. We'll have to see the extent of his injury. Maybe maybe he'll be back for the Milan game. So he didn't start. Uh, Giraldas didn't start. He was rested. Piazon was rested. Uh, Morero was rested. So it was a much weakened team. Carlos Mane came off injured as well in the game. And Carlos Mane came off injured as well. So that'll be a really d- big disappointment. Rio have pretty much holding on for dear life from the start. Not that, not that Gimaraes were particularly impressive. They started off... We both talked about this. They started off with a really strange formation. Uh, with no recognised striker. They went with Quaresma and Edwards up front. I mean, I think a lot of people have wanted to watch those two players play together, but perhaps they imagined it with a striker in between the two of them. They played up top together with Andre Andre in behind. Um, and they they really struggled to create. I, I don't want to be... You know, on this podcast, we don't, want to, we don't really want to be slating players. Um, and there's a lot of excitement about Marcus Edwards. I think he will have a great future in the game. But it wasn't his best game. I thought there was poor decision making from him, poor quality of of delivery. But maybe that's not his fault. You know, he didn't really have the target to aim for in the box. I think that's his game. I think he's a provider. I mean, he can pop up with a good finish, but it wasn't his best game. Albert, I think what's going to be interesting for Guerrero this season is Edwards was so effective on the right hand side last season. Lots of good stats. They've won Kresma, and his position is the right side. And mm. it's how they're going to fit them in because Edwards is being played out of position essentially to fit in Charisma. And yeah, without strikers, well, it was just it was just all weird and odd. And yeah, it was a really it was a really poor game. Rio have tied from the game before, not really offering much themselves. Gimaraes not set up well, in my opinion, um, who really struggled to create any clear cut chances. There was one moment of real excitement in the game an hour in when Ricardo Quaresma found himself on the right hand side. And it was just that little bit of magic that we've all been waiting for. He cuts inside, nutmegs his man, and pulls out that trademark outside of the boot shot from that acute angle. I mean, we've seen him score those goals for Portugal. We've seen him score those goals for every team that he plays for. I was, you know, that was the one really exciting moment for me. I was I, I was willing that ball to go in. It was straight at the keeper in the end, so it went over. But that was pretty much the only moment of excitement in the whole game. And Koreshma had the next best chance of the game where he had a lovely run into the box and was actually brought down by a Rio Ave defender. It looked like they were going to give the pen and at the time it was a sort of situation where I thought he should have taken the shot on because actually it was such a clear-cut chance. He was one of the one with the keeper that I thought, I mean, I thought he was dead cert to score. You know, he took the foul. I use that phrase quite specifically, you know, took the foul because he mm. could have stayed on his feet. But it was still a foul, although in the end that again was ruled for offside. So maybe a bit unlucky. Um, Quaresma went off after 70 minutes he clearly hasn't got that match fitness to play 90 minutes yet otherwise he would have played they brought on Bruno Duarte a much more target man type striker I was surprised he didn't start you know he got 11 goals last season in Bruno Duarte he's a striker I feel that they really need to get into that team because I don't think trying to fit Quaresma and Edwards 
you know, they need someone to be providing for. You look at Christmas crosses, man. Absolutely mm. sublime. But there was no one in there to get onto the end of them. I think when he came on, um, they were much improved. And if they'd started with Edwards, Koresma and Duarte, I think it would have been a different game for Vittoria. Uh, but it ended nil-nil in the end. A few English guys on the bench for Grimmers. Yeah, exactly. There's some interest for any English uh, fans listening. So they started with, obviously, everybody knows Marcus Edwards by this point. Um, but they also started with a player called Issa Suleiman at centre-back. He, a, pros- a product from the Aston Villa Academy, had some loans at Cheltenham Town and Grimsby. So, you know, not the highest level in English football. Uh, but found himself starting for Pretoria. I thought he had a pretty solid game. I always look at the shirt numbers, obviously. I love shirt numbers. But he's got the number five this season. He was number 22. Um, I think mm. he's played at England uh, youth setup. Um, and I think he was quite highly rated back in the day, uh, a few seasons ago. 22 years old now, so we see, we'll see how he gets on if he gets played more this season. The player on the bench was Jacob Maddox, 21 years old, uh, a Chelsea Youth Academy prospect. Uh, he also had a productive loan on loan at Cheltenham Town, but since then, he's kind of gone off the radar, a loan at Tranmere Rovers, where I don't think he made many appearances at all. Bizarrely, was unloaned at Southampton from last January. I don't think anybody's heard of him or even knew that that had happened but yeah he's uh, 21 years old he was on the bench for Victoria I mean it seems like young English players might be a fruitful avenue for them to go down in terms of transfers yeah we'll have to see I mean I'm not expecting much from Jacob Maddox but if Suleiman can cement that centre-back position down because I think they've moved on a couple of centre-backs in the summer um, that'll be good and yeah like I said it's it's all about getting Edwards and Charisma playing together in the same team and having someone to get the ball to from them yeah, definitely. Yeah, on Sunday I watched uh, Gilles Vicente and Porto Menendez, uh, ended 1-0 to Gilles Vicente. Really not much to say about this game. Uh, Gilles Vicente manager, um, Dito, died in early September, so there's lots of tributes paid to him. Very sad. Yeah, really sad. Um, I couldn't really find much information about it, but, uh, but the tributes were really nice at the beginning of the game and they had a nice kit uh, in tribute to him. And obviously, as later Orient fans, we can both sympathise with that. I guess they had um, they weren't playing last week because of the, the sporting game being postponed. So this is their first competitive game of the season. I wasn't really knowing what to expect, but they really looked up for it, uh, putting in lots of crosses, uh, really pushing the Porto Menens uh, team back. Porto Menens actually got a pen sort of against a run of play, uh, but it was a great save from uh, the Vicente goalkeeper. Uh, that classic, it was a good height for him, though, if you know what I mean. Uh, mm, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, the other percent goal was a, a, a really good finish, a nice sort of uh, a lump forward, but then um, a few good knock-ons. Um, quite boring. Uh, obviously, Giovanni will be uh, <laughs> happy to get off of a win. Paul Dominguez didn't really have much to show for for the game. Um, I said last week, I think they're going to be the ones down there uh, come the end of the season. Yeah, we'll have to follow them and see if they show any signs of improvement. Uh, it was quite a similar story. Uh, with Ferenc versus CD Nacional. We started with CD Nacional last week. They had a great result, 3-3 against Boa Vista. And it was a good result for them. For them, they won 1-0 against uh, Ferenc. But a much less exciting exciting game. It was quite even. Ferenc were more on the front foot in terms of having more shots, I thought. Uh, the same names as last week playing well. Ryan Gould and Luca, I thought, were the two standout players. The, keeper goal, the goalkeeper, Hugo, man, had quite a few good saves to make. Uh, but in the end, it came down to Nacional breaking the deadlock. A player that you enjoyed watching last week, Barney Riascos, with a lovely finish uh, on the hour. I thought maybe the keeper should have done better. He's got a kind of low save down to his left-hand side. If you're being harsh, you could say uh, he could have got a stronger hand to it. But 
yeah, 1-0 in the end. It left CD Nacional sitting on a very healthy four points. Uh, and unfortunately, it was the same story last as last week for Forens, really. A lot of promise, but they're going to have to start turning that promise into points on the board if they're going to stay up. Yeah, I think they need a, they need something up front a bit more to give Ryan Gold the opportunity to sort of play off some more and, and Luca as well. I do worry for them, if I'm honest. Um, but I think mm. CD Nacional, they've come up and they, they look good and up for it. Um, uh, and see what they can build on this season. Yeah, a very healthy couple of weeks for CD Nacional. Well, there's one more match in this week's game week. As we speak and we're recording, it's currently Familis out to Benenenge 1, so we'll come on to that game next week uh, and see how that finishes. Uh, but for now, I think it's time to move on to our fantasy football. Same rules as last week, playing. neither of us have talked about how many points we've got. Did you make any changes this week, Barney? Yeah, I did. I um, When I saw Albert Ellis deal for Boris to got it over the line, I got him in, <laughs> which was a great move. Um, he... Uh, he came on and got so got me one point. Um, Lovely, but uh, the big, the most amateur mistake I did was um, having Marshas in the Porto goalkeeper on the bench and um, sticking in the Zlombin, uh, the from our scale goalkeeper. I don't know why I've done that. What I was thinking there. How about you? Any big scores? Um, well, I made a few. I made a few changes. I took out Vinicius for Waldschmidt, and that was quite a big money change for me. He got me four points. wasn't too bad. So I didn't play. So didn't get me any points. Yeah, I didn't do very well. So points-wise, I got 34 this week. Last week, I was on 43. What did you get? I got 32 points for last week. So I'm on 76 in total. So I'm still winning. I'm on 77 by one point. Also, I've got Manafar on the bench. And I'm hoping, if it's the same rules as UK for oh, this yeah. football, because yeah. Turab didn't play, he'll get subbed on. And that's nine points in the bag. I've, 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 I'll be honest with you, I did have a little look today and I've made three transfers for next week already because I was so disappointed with them. My team. <laughs> <laughs> desperate uh, times, desperate measures. Yeah, I've bought in. Um, I bought a Nanu, the put uh, the uh, Maritimo right back, but he's been playing right wing, so I'm hoping he might be able to give me some points. Um, Brian Riascos as well, who we mentioned, he's already got a few goals this right. season. And uh, Gil Diaz uh, for Fomalcao, who's just coming on loan from Monaco. I'm hoping he might be able to do something. New signings. There we go. Some big shouts in Barney's fantasy football team this week. So if, like us, you're interested in trying to catch a couple of these games, where I think each week we're both going to start recommending a game for you to watch that you can watch um, legally for free online somewhere. Um, either And that will be either on the, the Live Score app, which we recommend you downloading, or on freesports.com. Uh, they both have fully licensed rights to the Premier League with English commentary. Um, for me, that recommendation is Sunday, at 6.30, it's Benfica versus Ferenz. Benfica, obviously... It's going to be a thrashing hour, isn't it? I mean, I was trying to think of a nice way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and you get a sight of Ryan Gould, which is always a treat. So, yeah, could be a few goals in that one. What's your recommendation, buddy? I, I think I'm going to go the, for the Porto game on the Saturday. Um, I, like I've talked about Lisa Vidigar, the Maritimo manager. He's got a bit about him. And um, the, it'll be a tough game for Porto, I think. We'll just have to see if they can dispatch them like they did Burvista. Right, we're going to end on what's going to be a new feature where Barney's going to pick his moment of the week. Um, the way we're going to do this is Barney's going to pick like a favourite goal or a favourite moment. It could be anything, really. And we'll uh, share that over on our Twitter account for you to go and watch. You can follow us on Twitter, at LongBallFootyBall. We'll also be retweeting a bunch of random stuff to do with Portuguese football. So, Barney, what was your moment of the week this week? Well, there was, there was a few to choose from. Um, I was thinking about uh, Lewis Bermorte's nephew coming on for uh, Porto Menendez, uh, Ailton Bermorte. Um, Lovely story. 
uh, there was the Maritima goalkeeper going down for cramp twice, which I just thought is the ultimate shit outery. Um, <laughs> but for me, it was, uh, yeah, I think it was that Porto goal from the free kick. It was just, you know, one from the training ground, a really nice move that just everything came off. It was, yeah, it's perfect. I really liked that. Lovely goal. And we've become accustomed to seeing those uh, Porto team goals. Uh, in recent seasons well as i said you can head over to our twitter account at longballfootball to check out that video uh, you can also email us on longballfootball at gmail.com get in touch any suggestions any comments are always welcome but yeah i think for now we'll leave it till next week thank you very much for listening um yeah and i'll see you next week buddy yeah see you next week man. nice one